So I, I rode my bicycle for a year in 2010 uh, from uh, Canada to Colombia, and as part of that journey, I discovered that basically a billion people in the world didn't have uh, access to clean drinking water. So I began this journey and did some higher level education and been on a series of trips with my friends in the last six years. That's all led us to this, to this spot now where we've become very interested in a small scale uh, decentralized desalinization projects. It's really the future of water. Welcome everyone for today's Beach Talk. I'm glad that you can join us. Now I want to help us understand how every word of God that's in the word of God. God has so many wonderful things he wants to say to us every day. We'll just take the time to listen, to understand, and to try to apply them to our lives. And so my objective is simple. It's disciples making disciples who plant churches that plant churches. So in this way, we can see Jesus be the beautiful grassroots uh, movement in our, in our lives and through our lives, wherever God wants it to go. Now today we're in Matthew 12, 25. It says that Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand if Satan casts out Satan. He is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Satan, by whom do you cast things out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can you enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first blinds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? So, Jesus knew their thoughts. This was remarkable, but not necessarily a mark of the divinity of Jesus. The Holy Spirit can give the gift of supernatural knowledge to an individual. The word of knowledge is the talks about the New Testament, mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, 8. Now every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Jesus observed that it makes no sense for Satan to cast out Satan. The Pharisees needed to explain how Satan benefited from the work Jesus had just done. By whom do your sons cast out, cast them out? Jesus asked a question based on their wrong premise that he operated by Satan's power. If that were true, then how did their own Jewish exorcists cast them out? So, and then he will plunder their plunder his house. Using an analogy, Jesus explained his authority to bind Satan's power. He is stronger than the strong man is. In doing so, Jesus presented a valuable principle in spiritual warfare is remember that Jesus gives us the permission to use his name and the authority giving us the strength that we need in binding the strong man. Jesus looks at every life delivered from Satan's domination and says, I'm plundering the kingdom of Satan one life at a time. There is nothing in our life that must stay under Satan's domination. The one who blinds, who binds the strong man will plunder his goods is Jesus. Now verse 30, who, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Now anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. So, he who is not with uh, with me is against me. 
Jesus first removed illusions about any neutral response to him in his work. If one is not for him, then one is against him. If one does not work with Jesus by either active opposition or passive disregard, then one works against Jesus. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Now blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Jesus warned the religious leaders against rejecting him. Their rejection of Jesus, especially considered what they had seen Jesus in his and his miracles show that they were completely rejecting the Holy Spirit's ministry. That ministry is to testify to Jesus, hence the warning of committing the unforgivable sin. The Holy Spirit's main ministry is to testify of Jesus. When that testimony of Jesus is fully and finally rejected, one has truly blasphemed the Holy Spirit and eternally called him a liar in respect to his testimony about Jesus, the religious leaders were very close to this. To reject Jesus from a distance or with little information is bad, but to reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit about Jesus is fatal, especially from up close. It will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. The eternal consequences of the sin force us to regard it seriously. Therefore, how can one know if they have in fact blasphemed the Holy Spirit? The fact that one desires Jesus at all shows that they're not guilty of, guilty of this sin. Yet continued rejection of Jesus makes us more hardened against him and puts us on a path of full and final rejection of him. That's why we should always have a soft heart. Some people, as a joke or a dare, intentionally say words that they suppose that commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. They think of it as a light thing, you know, to joke with. You know, yet true blasphemy against the Spirit is more than a formula of words. It's a, it's a, it is a settled disposition that rejects the Holy Spirit and rejects Jesus. God wants us to have thick skin and soft hearts. The devil wants us to have a hard heart and thin skin. Now, verse 33 says that a tree is known by its fruit for a brood of vipers... How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man speaks out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word men speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words, they will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. A tree is known by its fruit, the bad fruit of their words, when they condemn Jesus, betrayed the bad root growing in their hearts. If they got their hearts right with God, their words about Jesus would also be right. Now, brood of vipers, with these words, Jesus essentially called the religious leaders sons of Satan. They were a generation associated with the serpent, not with God. It was the evil nature that made them speak evil of Jesus. So, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our words reveal our heart. If they were good treasure in the heart of these religious leaders, it would show itself in good things. Now, for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. Adam Clark said that the sense of the ancient Greek word used for an idle word is a word that does nothing. 
that neither ministers grace nor instruction to them who hear it. If this is true, many teachers might find themselves guilty of this sin. By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. By this Jesus answered an anticipated objection that he had made too much of mere words. Instead, because words reflect the heart, one can be rightly judged by their words. Paul also wrote about the importance of our words, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.9. Now, verse 38, then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so will be the son of man three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What's he talking about here? Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Their desire to see a sign really expressed another way in which they hoped to reject him. Now, if Jesus provided a sign, they would find some way to speak against it, thus proving to themselves that Jesus was who they already thought he was, an emissary of Satan, according to Matthew 12. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Jesus condemned their seeking after a sign, especially when countless signs had already happened before their eyes. It is, easy, it is easy to overestimate the power of miraculous signs to change the heart of doubters and skeptics. The sign of the prophet Jonah, Jesus assured them of a sign, but the great sign he would show was the sign of a resurrected Jesus. Jonah was a prophet in the sense beyond his preaching to the Nineveh. Also, his life was a prophecy of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, Jonah was indeed a picture of the work of Jesus. Jonah gave his life to appease the wrath of God coming upon others, but death did not hold him. After three days and nights of imprisonment, he was alive and free. This is a glorious picture of Jesus in an unexpected place. Now, because Jesus here refers to three days and three nights, some think that Jesus had to spend at least 72 hours in the grave. Now, this upsets most chronologies of, of the death and resurrection of Jesus and is totally unnecessary because it doesn't take into account the use of ancient figures of speech. Certain rabbis knew all about this and explained this way of speaking when they wrote, they explained that a day and a night make a whole day and a portion of a whole day is reckoned as a whole day. So, this demonstrates how in Jesus' day, the phrase three days and three nights did not necessarily mean a full 72-hour period, but a period including at least the portions of three days and three nights. There may be other good reasons for challenging uh, the traditional chronology of Jesus' death and resurrection, but it is not necessary in order to fulfill the words of Jesus here. So, if Jesus rose from the dead on the first day, or in the fifth day, we could say Jesus was a liar and a false prophet. He said he would rise again on the third day, but he got but he got it wrong. But Jesus didn't get it wrong. He never does. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment 
with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with us in this generation and condemn it. She came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Now, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Now, simply put, greater light requires greater judgment. Both Nineveh and the Queen of the South repented even though they had lesser light shining in their midst. Their rejection of the greater light by the religious leaders was indefensible. Adam Clark described several ways that the witness of Jesus was greater than Jonah. He said Christ was preached to the Jews was infinitely greater than Jonah in the nature, person, and mission. Jonah preached repentance in Nineveh only 40 days, and Christ preached a bunch of the Jews for several years. Jonah brought no miracles to authorize his preaching, but Jesus made miracles every day and every place he went out of every kind. Now, the people of Judea did not repent, though the people of Nineveh did. So, a greater than Solomon is here. Solomon was the son of David, and one of the great messianic titles of Jesus is the son of David. Jesus was a much greater son of David than Solomon was. We again here are impressed by the greatness of Jesus' self-claim to stand in front of these religious leaders and claim to be greater than Israel's richest and wisest king was really audacious. Yet the seeming audacity of Jesus was well justified. Now verse 43, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man in context, the main point of Jesus was not upon principles of demon possession. He explained the seriousness of rejecting him as completely as the religious leaders had. Now, the rejection and opposition of Jesus would leave them much worse than ever before. This wicked generation exemplified by the religious leaders who were rejecting Jesus would find their last state worse than the first. In the large measure, they rejected Jesus because he wasn't messianic enough for their taste in the sense of being a political and military messiah. Yet their thirst for this kind of messiah would lead them to ruin by AD 70. Now, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Apparently, demons, or at least some of them, desire a human host and look for a place among the empty seeing it as an invitation. A demon can only inhabit someone if he finds it empty, that is, with the indwelling spirit of Jesus Christ. If it is empty, it does not matter to the demon if it is also swept and put in order. The devil has no objection to his house being swept and garnished, for a moralist may be as truly his slave as the man of debauched habits, so long as the heart is not occupied by the great foe, and he, and he can use the man for his own purposes. The adversary of souls will let him reform as much as he pleases. Charles Spurgeon.
and the last slate of that man is worse than the first, this presses the urgency of being filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ. There's something worse than being simply demon-possessed. One can be possessed in a greater measure unto great misery. The answer to such misery is to be filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 46, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. The one said to him, look, your mother and brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. <clears throat> and does the, whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. His brother and sister stood aside seeking to speak with him. Now considering the general context of opposition to Jesus, it may well be that the family of Jesus wanted to appeal to him to not be so controversial in his ministry. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? We might have expected that Jesus's family would have, would have had special privileges before him. It almost surprises us that they, that they didn't. Who is my mother? Well, Mary, the mother of Jesus, had no special favor with Jesus either than she does now. She stands as a wonderful woman, example of one who was privileged by God and who stood by Jesus, but she is not on a higher level than anyone who does his will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, who are my brothers? Jesus plainly had brothers. A lot of people don't believe this, but he did have more brothers and sisters. But the brothers of Jesus never seemed to be supportive of his ministry before he died and before his resurrection. D.A. Carson points out the most natural way to understand brothers is that the term refers to sons of Mary and Joseph and the brothers of Jesus on his mother's side. Efforts to make brothers mean something else are nothing less than far-fetched far -fetched exegesis in support of a dogma that originated much later than the Old Testament. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. These beloved ones who do the will of God stand in, con in contrast to the evil and adulterous generation represented by the Pharisees in Matthew 12. Now, we can see this as a gracious invitation even to the religious leaders who deepened their hostility against Jesus and plotted against him. They could still come and be a part of his family. Now, this wraps up our time together today looking at this chapter of Matthew. I always love to end my beach talks with a chance to pray, to get a fresh start with God, to stop doing some things in our life, and to start doing some things in our lives. Would you pray with me now? Would you say, God, would you help me today to have a fresh start with you, to stop doing the things I need to stop, and to start doing the things that I need to start? Would you help me do all of this and to follow you today in Jesus' name? Amen. And as always, have a great day. Thank you for your time. We would love to partner with you. Uh, water is a global problem. It's going to take as many partners as we can to help solve this problem. We'd love for you to partner with us. You can go to our website at www.oceanwater.com. That's O-C-N-W-T-R.com. We'd love that. Thanks so much.